Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Host of the show, enjoying a well deserved vacation this week. We told the boss to do a whole bunch of nothing this week. So it'll give us a chance to look back, play back some of the great interviews from the show. Best of week here, Sean Carey from the Sunbury Motor Studio, Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai, North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia. On the strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. You can always drop Steve a line by email. It's stevejones at wkok.com, our email address, and we invite you to subscribe to our free podcast. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, and Google Play. Search Steve Jones Show. Drop the shows right to your smartphone and tablet, and you can always access three-plus months of previous shows. Go to our podcast archive page at stevejonesshow.com. So some of the great playback interviews we'll have for you here during our Best of Week, a legendary Philadelphia writer, Ray Dininger. Replay his interview with Steve tomorrow, plus the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sochi, had a chance to talk to Bob after the Patriots won the Super Bowl back in February. Steve Blass, who is wrapping up his long, illustrious broadcasting campaign with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, we'll talk to Blassie uh, tomorrow. And we have other great interviews coming up later in the week, including Yankees beat writer for the fan New York City, Sweeney Murdy. And also, uh, we'll play back the interview, the uh, first interview we did with Dave Cicchini after Dave became the new head coach for Bucknell Bison Football. Uh, we'll play back that Dave conversation uh, coming up on Wednesday. And Friday, we'll have... Uh, uh, a lean on Penn State football. Focus on that with Mark Brennan from Fight on State. And also we'll go back to February's National Letter of Intent Day and uh, replay the thoughts from head football coach James Franklin. Let's get you the play-by-play call of the day. A much-needed victory for the Fightins yesterday in the bottom of the ninth inning thanks to Michael Franco. Here's the pitch from Grace. Swung on, hit in the air. Deep left center field. This one's got a chance, and it is up the alley and gone! Michael Franco walks him off. 4-3, Phillies win it. With one out here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Second career walk-off home run for Michael Franco. Phillies Radio Network and Scott Fransky here on 1070 WKOK yesterday as the Phillies able to salvage a win out of the Nat series from over the weekend. And the home stand continues tonight for the Fightins. The real work will really start as the best team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, are in town. Uh, right-hander Zach Eflin will look to follow in the footsteps of Jake Arrieta. He takes to the mound tonight against Clayton Kershaw, who comes in with a 7-2 and record, 3.09 ERA. Both teams uh, getting wins yesterday. Mentioned the uh, walk-off homer there. Had a chance to hear that from uh, Michael Franco. Uh, Arietta, by the way, pitching yesterday for the first time since he acknowledged he's dealing with a bone spur in his right elbow. He didn't factor into the decision, although he left after five innings with a 3-1 to lead. Eflin will be looking to bounce back from a 
rough final start to the first half July 4th when he took the loss after allowing seven runs over three innings uh, when the Phillies lost to Atlanta by a score of 12-6. Kershaw is 3-5 and five with a 2.83 ERA in 14 career regular season starts against the Phillies. Eflin against the Dodgers in four starts. He is 0-2 with a 9.18 ERA. So we'll have that for you tonight here on WKOK. From Citizens Bank Park, on deck will start at 6.30 and first pitch at 7.05. It'll be the first of a four-game series with the Dodgers. Thursday, they'll wrap up the series with a matinee. So uh, we'll be bumped on Thursday because of the Phillies here on WKOK. So let's go back to last fall. It was the third game of this current four-game series between Penn State and the Pittsburgh Panthers. Of course, that game was in the rain in Heinz Field last September. And before that game, we had a chance to focus in on a full hour. I'm going to replay the full hour conversation with Steve and great Penn State historian and a former executive director of the All Sports Museum at Penn State, the one and only Lou Prado. There's a great history in this series... There's also been a series of years where there have been blowouts on both sides, and there really was only one golden era in the series. <laughs> the golden era really was like 74 to 83. Um, but you've found a couple of games that you found to be more intriguing. So what's number one? Well, I mean, number one I mean, I, number one is that 1981, the, the comeback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that has to be the number I, one. Oh, I saw Todd yesterday. I didn't bring it up. Todd and I talked about his, his boys yesterday, yeah. Todd Blackledge. But yeah, that certainly is one. But you know that that's that's uh, part of one one hundred things Penn State fans should know and do. But I, yeah. any Penn State fan, I don't care if they want the Pitt, Pitt series or not. That's up. They better know about that because yeah, of how it happened, what it happened. I, th- there are ties along the way. I mean, I have to tell you, one. I think the most intriguing is a, is a to me intriguing is actually a pit pit one. Okay. Okay. At at uh, at Beaver Field. Uh, it was 1930. I, I have to look this up. It was like 1931. And remember, we were in the de-emphasis period. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. we, get, we gave up scholarships in 29. So Bezdak gave up being coach. Bezdak gave up uh, being the coach, and he had produced a team that went to the Rose Bowl and all this. We won't get to the background, but but Bob Higgins, who we know is the is the legend, was the right. coach his first year and. And it turned out to be the worst season ever in Penn State football. I mean, they won one game, but yeah, it was awful. But, but <laughs> they come and and, and you got to understand that, that most of the games. I mean, we've only played about twelve games. I have I have the actual figure here, but between nineteen oh three and nineteen thirty one, there were only three games at Penn State. Only three. That's it. That's three. And a home game in up to nineteen after nineteen sixty three. It was nineteen thirty nine, forty nine, and fifty five. So it's this thirty one game is what I'm talking about. Pitt was great. I mean, they had a great team who uh, they think was, and I say think because I'm going to get to this later, they declare it was a national championship, and that was oh. BS. Okay. <laughs> that's, but they, that's, part of their, the that's what, that's what I'm going to get to, part of their nine, part of their nine uh, so-called national champions. That's why they you know, cry babies. Sorry, EJ, if you're listening. Um, EJ, by the way, EJ Borghetti, who's one of the best guys out there <laughs> great, in the world. A great guy. So anyhow, uh, the team was so good that that uh, Higgins and and uh, Jock Sutherland had a, an agreement beforehand that that the first and two second team would not for Pitt would not play. Okay. So the third team played. Okay. Uh, just the third team, 
And after and they, and they won easily. Forget you know, have to look up the score because I can't remember. I don't know the encyclopedia. Do you remember the score? No, I do not. That's the one you don't remember. I, I mean, not. I can look it up here. Uh, but anyhow, I, I didn't do the they, game. They won going away, and as the fans were leaving, and there were about eight thousand fans here, nine thousand fans at Beaver Field. That's the one that was across from McKee Hall. Well, it's one of the rare games they played yeah, up right here. there, right? So as the fans were leaving. The, uh, Sutherland sends his first team out, and they're going up and down doing calisthenics and throwing passes to working out. And the fans are booing them. They say they're trying to show us up. Or trying and that stick, story stuck for years. When they, it was years later before they found out that they had disagreement. This, this, right. Because Sutherland and Sutherland and, uh, and 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 Higgins were pretty good friends. In fact, year nineteen forty six, they actually went on a big uh, tour to Japanese together uh, to Japan together on a on a on a special uh, training session. But that thirty one game is one that intrigues me. Now, there's another one that intrigues me, too, and I bring this up because this is probably new information for even even your viewers. Uh, I, 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 I researched this years years ago about who had the first numbers on their uniforms. Right. You, yeah, I remember okay. when we had you on the show talking right. about that. And, and the first numbers, the credit actually goes to either Washington and Jefferson, which played big-time football back then. They were our uh-huh. key rival Thanksgiving Day before Pitt. And Pitt. And I researched that that 1908 game is when... It was a Thanksgiving Day game, and that's when Penn State wore numbers for the first time. And yeah. my fraternity brother, Ted Brown, the, the, on the Board mm-hmm. of Trustees, had the thing. And I just think that's fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to, to of, of all the games, you, don't, you, know, you remember all the games, but those two games have something historical happen in those two games. Right. Now, the other games were historical for another, other reasons. And one of the reasons they're historical is, uh, you know, as you said, the glory days. It really was the glory days of Pitt Penn State series in that in that seventies eighties. I mean, yeah, uh, it went it went from a couple coaches, but Jack when, when Cheryl took over, but Foge Fazio was then came along, but but, but Johnny, Johnny Major, Major started it. Yeah, but that, that was you know, and Johnny and you know they couldn't do what he did back then today, put out scholarships and they won a national title and they won it legitimately. They were they were they were like they were really good. They were very good. Yeah, and the Pitt fans think and, that's and, it earned that. National yeah, and title. the Pitt fans thinks thinks that you know that was how many years ago? I mean, do the calculation. Uh, but the problem with the series goes back, you know, again, I bring this up to the fact that we don't play them at the end of the season anymore. Even yeah. if we played them at the beginning of the season, the end of the season, that's where we spoiled each other's thing. Yeah. So coming back to long-winded way of coming back to one of the games I like was that one in the, with the tie game in, in uh, 83, I think it was. Oh, it was 83, and, and, I, I, have a, and I have a story around yeah, that. Yeah, well, you can tell your story, but the thing is, remember, the, the, the we were driving, and uh, and... I think it was uh, T.J. Dozier caught the ball and was he out of did. bounds, and uh, it turned out that the, the the game looked like it was over, right. and the fans started coming out on the field, and because the clock up in the up in the uh, scoreboard looked like it was over, but they're actually four seconds in, right? And Joe sent a field goal. He kicked the ball, kicked every only time ever went to a tie. And he yeah. said they they deserved it because it, they got that was sent them to play Washington in the in the, the, the Bowl. Bowl. Yep. And and I mean I find that one intriguing. The other one the other one intrig- again of the name of the of the, of the modern day oh. era. Well, my addendum to that was I was the third announcer on the Penn State Network at that time, and so of my various jobs of being the third person was I had to do the post game show with Joe. So I I would go down. I would leave the booth with about three four minutes to go, and I'm on the field, and Penn State's driving down the field. And I remember with 56 seconds to go, there was a problem with the clock, right? Yeah, right. And, that was the problem. And, and the problem so, was the clock, right? And so and that was like 56 seconds to go. So I knew there was a problem with the clock, right? Because everybody on the field knew that there was Penn State Pitt. That's why you noticed like in, in the post game, uh, like the Pitt guys didn't complain. They knew. Okay, 
Well, then the clock does get down to zero because I thought maybe they had corrected it. They hadn't. So I go into the area where I'm supposed to interview Joe for the post game, and I'm thinking it's 24-21. So I'm standing there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and nobody's coming in. I'm like, what the heck? And this janitor who's listening to the game <laughs> says, man, can you believe how they came back and tied that game? And I looked over and I said, said, you've helped me much more than you ever realized. And so the opening question I asked Joe was this. I said, 24-21, the clock, re- how does the game end? Explain how the game ended in the tie. Now, I think that's a good way to you go. Know, because I had no, I had no idea what the answer was. <laughs> have you ever thought of what you would have asked if you didn't, if the janitor not walked in? Have you ever? Well, so, well some of the media, because the media people would have come in ahead of time. They would, have, they would have said something. But that's how I find out. Guy was, guy was wearing a headphones on, listening to a transistor radio. 1983, you still had transistors. You didn't have a Walkman at that point. So yes, that's my story. I'm that, sticking to it. Okay, one of the games in the '78 game. Do you remember that one? They were uh, Joe kicked off to start the game, and he kicked off to start the second half because he had the the wind was coming out of the north and was so ferocious. He pinned pit back in the third quarter. The uh, that entire because he kicked off, he elected to kick off. And remember that that was they were they eventually played for the national championship in a famous Alabama game, which we all are sick over. But my, one of the reasons I'm fascinated by that game is because of what Fusina did. Chuck Fusina did. They were coming down and and it looked like uh, late in the, it was late in the game, and uh, they were going to come from behind, and they had to clinch the game. He looked like it was fourth down and inches to go, and and uh, and what happened was that uh, uh, it actually looked longer. When it went right, and so Fusina went out and told him it was only inches. Yeah, no, he told Joe like we only need a foot. <laughs> it was like it's like a yeah, like a yard or I've, something. Yeah, yeah. I talked to Chuck about this at the Duquesne Club last year. He says, well, "This is, I'm not a math major." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you could go on 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 and on, but but those those are two of the, the ones. Yeah. Now, there's one game I have to tell you that that you know, '63. You weren't even born yet, were you? I, mean, I was born <laughs> in '63. No, '64 rather. In '64, when they had that team that lost the three out of the first three games, and they, then they came, came from behind Glenn Rester's team, and they beat Ohio State in a great upset. And the end of the year, they played Pitt, and they beat Pitt. Mm-hmm. But it was the it was that game. It was played at it was played at uh, at. Uh, at Penn State at Beaver Stadium, hmm. and it was windshield was zero. Oh, it snowed. It snowed in the it, it, a day, and you know people left for the game. I forget twenty one nothing. Me, whatever the score was, I can't remember the exact score. What I remember is I'm up in the press box covering the game. And my poor wife sitting in the car freezing. Uh, her. <laughs> uh, well, that was the seventy eight game. I mean, you know, seventy eight game. I, mean, I brought Kathy with me to the game, and like <laughs> she's like, I don't think we could stay much longer. But you know, so many of those games were played in cold weather. What made the series great, though, even before the uh, the, the the era of the seventy, was that there was always upsets. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, they upset Pitt upset us in nineteen forty and nineteen forty forty eight. We had a chance to go to the bowl games, and we lost to Pitt in upsets. Right. And that's what they love to do, and and that that's what makes a series. I mean. You know, they bragged about Narduzzi was bragging about how you know they kept us out of the playoffs two years ago, and we know te- technically they may have, but it's, but technically there was a lot of politics, and the Michigan game kept us well, out of the politics. I, I will say this about that claim: while I do understand him saying it, when it came time in the t- in the week ten days leading up, 
what was brought up over and over and over again. The fact that Penn State lost to Michigan at Michigan by 39. The pit game was never brought up no, by no, anybody, no. ever. It was the margin that they lost to, to Michigan by. And that and that's you know that's that's what goes on and I you know if if Penn State happens to lose Saturday you know they'll be bragging and complaining about it and sure. who knows but that's what it's, that I've I've sort of lost my passion for it all because it's all turned into but one of the things I don't like is the fact that the students Pitt students still have that in that when they sing in the alma mater and they still throw out the course anybody goes to the crowd anybody going to the game on Saturday better be prepared for the, some of the nastiness okay most of the fans are <laughs> some of the fans are good but there 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 a lot of them are nasty I mean look at look what happened when that that guy they, they trace it down to the a pit guy who threatened to blow up the stadium right. I mean I mean not, I mean that's just that's that's idiotic that, that happens at time but you know I mean I I have to tell you that this that there would be a series if Pitt had gone in. Pitt had allowed Penn State into the Big East way back when, okay, nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. You know the story. Sure, I know the story because I talked to Joe a lot about this because I interviewed Joe right. about it at the time. Joe tried to put together an all sports Eastern Conference, and he was hoping to put into it Pitt, West Virginia, Temple, Boston College, Syracuse, Rutgers, and then was and he had a thought in his mind that they could convince Maryland to be the eighth school. Um, he had a pretty good avenue to get the automatic, the winner of the conference, get an automatic bid to the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, this is how far along he'd, he'd worked. And Syracuse, Jay Crothamel was the athletic director at Syracuse. And the Big East, again, this is where you have two great visionaries in one room. And we don't have a lot of, <laughs> we are not in an era of visionaries. No, right you're now. right. Okay, we are not in the people that, that see big picture and so forth. I mean, it's kind of like uh, being in the Truman Show where the kid says he wants to be an explorer and the teacher pulls down the map and says everybody's been, everything's been discovered. Uh, so, I mean, that's where we are now. Everything's discovered. Nothing's new. So Dave Gavitt had already come up with the idea of the Big East right? in 1979. Dave Gavitt was a visionary. I mean, Dave Gavin understood, because you and I both saw ECAC this, ECAC that, and it meant nothing right. back then. Zero. And so Dave Gavitt gets the Big East together in 79. He's got a, not a good idea, he's got a great idea, right? That includes schools in Washington, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, right? Brilliant. Okay. So they start. And Syracuse and, and uh, Boston College are two of them. Well, now Joe's talking to him about this football deal. So Jake Crothamel gets together with, oh, I'm trying to remember the BC athletic director's name at the time. But they then talk to Pitt about joining the Big East. Right. And I want to see Dean Billick was the athletic director. Bingo. At, at Pitt at the time. And so... They joined the Big East. Then they then Joe met with Dave Gavitt at Bradley International Airport in Windsor Locks, Connecticut, which is the Hartford Airport. That's where they met. They sat down, and Joe talked about this. He says, okay, well, if this doesn't work out for them, can I get Penn State basketball into the Big East? And Gavitt was noncommittal. He said, hey, I can put it up for a vote. And Trangese said, well, we'll he says, I don't know. He said, we ought to really think about this. Because Trangese could see the problem of Penn State. He could see it. And so when they put it up to a vote, all the football schools voted yes, but all the basketball-only schools voted no, and Penn State lost. Okay? So then 
Pitt has it everything their own way. They've got the Big East. It's going great, great, great. Right? Right. I mean, because, I mean, basketball is a great move. And then in 1989, on December 20th, no, you're going to the Big Ten? What? You're, you're in the Big Ten. And then it forced the Big East to form a football league, not a conference. Okay, You are a conference when everybody plays every sport. Okay, The Big East was a league, not a conference. Okay, You had eight schools that played basketball, and you had a bunch that played football and basketball. Did it last? No, it didn't last because they couldn't keep it together. They were what, a league. What intrigued and, and again, this is because you know everyone talks about, oh, they don't play, it's all Penn State's fault. No, you made the decision and you made your own bed, now live with it. Well, I, I, I want to follow up on that. Dean Billick is a Penn Stater. Yeah. And Dean Billick, uh, we had uh, dinner, uh, several of us Penn Stadia guys, old guys, had dinner after the, la- after the game at Pittsburgh last, and Dean admitted uh, he was the one who said – Turn down Penn State to be turn football. I mean, yep. that's where they could have. He could have. He could have taken Pitt into the football back then. Yep. And here's Dean Billick, who was a Penn Stater, uh, got the job and as a as a worked for the CDT for a while. Got the job yep. at, at Pitt as a PR guy, assistant PR guy. Right. Jim Tarman helped him get the job. Yep. And he turns out to stab us in the back, which certainly sounds like the current. For the trustees, if you if I oh, <laughs> uh, we won't we, uh, we won't go there. No, <laughs> we, we won't go there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a bad business decision by them. Okay, now the next bad business decision they made was building the Peterson Center on top of the of the football stadium. Uh, a lot of pit people believe that now too, because they yeah. don't. A lot of them are advocating they should add a, their own stadium. Right now. The Peterson Center is a gorgeous facility. That's as fine a basketball facility as I've been in. But you can build it over there. There's there's area there's land over there. They tore the football stadium down. Now you get twelve minutes to tailgate after the Pirates game. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean that's part of the, that's tailgating has become part of the atmosphere. I mean, around college football, when you can only when you can't do it much. I mean, it's just. Anyhow, I mean, I, I, I find that that um, how, how you know we've made some pretty dumb decisions too. Penn State's made some over the years. Oh, no doubt, no, I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, Lou, I'm going to keep you here for the next uh, half hour. Okay. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 
For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Lou Prado rejoins us. Lou, uh, there are a couple games you wanted to get into. Yeah, I'm gonna, right, how did the ugliness? Yeah, the ugliness start. Between- actually, actually, you know, I've been to Fort. It's a pretty nice story. You know, the first game in 1893, they were supposed to play on Saturday, and it rained. And Ford, and they had it was going to. They, they dedicated Beaver Field, and so they postponed till Monday. And the players invited. Speaking about fraternities, they, for drinking, they invited them to the fraternities, and they all got smashed and had a great time. And <laughs> they went out Monday and beat them. But why, reason why is the, the coach at the time. It wasn't a coach we know was George Hoskin. He was really a trainer, and he played in the games. And this is you know, they did that back then. Well, the next thing they they played in eighteen ninety six. Hoskins on the other side. He went to Pitt. So that started the. And he was he was nasty. I mean, they, the, the newspapers wrote about it, and and it, and it, that's how it that's how it started. It became nasty. But you know, at, at that point, Bucknell was maybe a, a, more of a rival than anybody else. But you know, we were, they didn't start playing at Pitt Stadium in 1925. So a lot of these games, Forbes Field or or uh, or Exposition Park. Uh, but there, there were there were a couple games that I wanted to go as as we went through. There was a couple games that I you have to uh, the 1919 game when we beat them for the first time. Uh, uh, and Hugo Bestek would be the coach. Yeah, right? beat, him, beat him for the first time in a while, and then we then we didn't beat him again until 1939. In 1919, uh, uh, Bob Higgins was a, was a, basically an end. They wouldn't yep. call him a tight end, and uh, he took a pass on a on a fake punt and went ninety some yards, ninety two yards. It's part of the record. Uh, it is, it yep. is a longest pass reception, uh, and that won the game. And then in 1939, uh, they Pitt had a pretty good team. Uh, I think they were defending national champions. Uh, at least they claimed them national champions. Uh, <laughs> And I'll get to that uh, shortly, whether they were or they were not. And uh, Leon Kajeki, who you knew, remember mm-hmm. that great, 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 great guy, passed away a few years ago. He did. He was great, the oldest great. living Penn State uh, letterman, and mm-hmm. he used to be at the tavern every Friday night. And he was, and he, was he was the sixth all-time all-time letterman, all-time all-Americans. Uh, all he was the sixth. We hadn't had one since I think it was uh, Joe Bedink when he was a player in the twenty-two. So Kajeki was very good. He never played in the pros because he went into the oil industry, you know. Right. The, and, and but he was a great guy. But but uh, but I wanted to briefly about the thirty six game and it's not not what happened to the game. We uh, Penn State was actually getting beat fourteen nothing, and eventually lost thirty four to seven. But this this was in the uh, second half kickoff. We had a guy Harry. Uh, his nickname was Harry, sophomore named Harry Harrison, and he was a sophomore. And as Harry Harrison is running down the field, he was clear in the midfield when an elastic from his pants came down and they fell down and he and he tripped and fell down. That's a true story. Okay, uh, Ridge Riley. <laughs> <laughs> wrote about this in his book. Okay, that was a oh. forgot to mention, and and this was a great game, and I remember uh, listening to it on the radio uh, on uh, on uh, Monday because uh, it was supposed to be on on Saturday, nineteen fifty, 
and uh, an unexpected snow winter, unexpected snowfall. The team had come down. They hadn't been they hadn't been told there was going to be a big snowstorm. It turned out to be like a twenty six uh, inch, twenty three inches of snow. I happened to uh, break my leg in snow uh, <laughs> uh, that year. That year back in oh. Indiana, PA, I'm a big pit fan, and and uh, wound up uh, in, a, in a cast. That's one of the things I remember. But they they turned around and because they canceled the game at, at Pitt Stadium, they turned around and army trucks uh, took them back. Uh, to uh, to Tyrone, uh, 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 and they took a train uh, uh, to get back here. Um, but then they went. Then they played on the seven thousand showed up on when they played on uh, on uh, Monday, and uh, uh, the Steelers had played earlier, and uh, the game went down to twenty twenty one to nothing. The final was Pitt, Pitt rallied for a twenty one twenty win. Uh, and uh, no, state went rallied for a twenty one twenty one twenty win. Sorry, the mind goes sometimes uh, <laughs> in the middle. But uh, that that turned out to be you know, one of those really unusual games. And one of the things that Rip Ingo talked for years, he lost his wallet in the snow going from the hotel. Oh, and and you know, now and and, and well, I, here's the thing that I that I really wanted to get into. Pitt claims they have nine national champions. Yes. Well, in reality, and, in reality, they have three. Right, they have the 1976 one. Yep, which great team, Matt Cavanaugh yep. and uh, Tony Dorsett. That that was that was legitimate. Ellen Walker. But yep, in 1916 and 1918 under Pop Warner, they were national champions. Uh, they they actually had the most v- votes by by people with, that were picking uh, in 1916, yep. and in 1918 Michigan had a share of that. But reason why they claim nine is because historians have gone back and then looked at the schedules, looked at the uh, the teams, right. and then they've selected the champions. There's one right. guy named Park Davis, who was a sports writer. And sports writers were big. Remember, they didn't have radio, TV. He was magazines and that. And Park Davis, in 1933, went back and looked at, at champions beforehand, and he gave Pitt a champion in 1915, in 1929, in 1931, okay? They also, Oklahoma State, remember, they, they got a championship out of this. Oklahoma State actually did, like, in 1946 or 44 well, or something like that. So, yeah, so let me go on, because this, this this is why it's interesting. Anybody goes to the NCAA record books, and I hate to say NCAA record because I hate the NCAA so much, but it depends, State, but, but let's go on. In, 19, in, in 1929, in 1915, actually Cornell was the national champion by most schools. In 1929... Notre Dame had most of the votes uh, mm-hmm. for national champion. In 1931, actually, USC was almost unanimous. And in 1934, Michigan was almost unanimous. And those are the ones they claim. Then, they, then there's a th- something called the Football Thesaurus Holgate System, Illustrated Annual Football. Mm-hmm. And they got that in 1930. They claimed that in 36 and 37 when they shouldn't even add 36 because 36 when the AP poll started. And Minnesota was the champion in both 1936 and 37. So Pitt claim this is the crybabies claiming that they were the national champions, mm-hmm. but they've only had, we were so many national champions over Penn State. We have two, and we should we got screwed out of one in '94. I mean, let's face it. So yep. it's like it's like when I hear well, them, when I hear them talk about it, it's like now we we we, we, we go back there and there there's a National Football Foundation which 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 gave Penn State two national champions. We never claimed it. And maybe well, there's, we actually, there's actually five altogether. But you know there there five. What was the other one? Five five that Penn State could have doesn't have that that were recognized by one organization or another. The ninety four was wasn't it? Ninety four was recognized. Sixty nine was recognized. 
81 was recognized, even though Clemson was undefeated. It was obvious who they were, but like some computer service, whatever. And then uh, 11 and 12. Well, so, so all we, those five have so, been recognized so if, by somebody. If we wanted to claim, we could claim. Right, and well, have not. Claim this, Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the right. national champions of nine, I mean, nine times. I mean, under the end of the Pitt system, Penn State has seven national championships. Again, 11, 12, 69, 81, 94, all some organization somewhere. Yeah, and this is not from the research you did. This goes back before they did this. Before they did that. Before they did this. So this goes back, and I'm talking like, um, I went back and looked this up back in the 90s. So that's how far back this goes. There's five others that Penn State could claim if they wanted. Well, Come on, if Sandy, if you're listening, let's claim them. You know, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, at, at, at this point, it doesn't really matter. But it's, right. but still, it's part of this whole. You know, go back to the whole part of this whole Pitt Penn State uh, series. And, you know, yeah, one of the things <laughs> talk about sometimes the Penn, the Penn State people who turn against Penn State. It seems like there are a lot of Pittsburgh writers who went to Penn State who, when once they get to Pittsburgh, man, they're their their birthright oh. goes to Pitt. Oh, you had Adam Bittner on yesterday, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you play to the crowd. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I wrote it, I read his story. He was a nice kid when he was a collegiate guy, and he wrote a story about how you know we should be playing all that, and, and Pitt and Penn State's wrong. John Steiger wrote I read one of him. Jay Paterno had a nice piece, and if you saw it, I've not seen Jay. Yeah, he said, you know, it's just too bad. That's the way college football is these days. You know, it's it's all changed, but business and all the all the stuff. Um, but you know, most most of the people aren't being realistic about that whole thing. That, that's you know. It's well, again, I, I go back to look. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but Pitt made a bad business move in 1981. Now, basketball wise, for 30 years, was it the right move? Yes, no question. And so I, I'll give credit where credit is due. But see, what they didn't see in 1981. This is where Joe Paterno, being a member of the College Football Association Executive Committee with Chuck Ninus. And Chuck Ninus was another visionary. Again, we're out of visionaries right now. Okay, we're all out. Okay, the people that could see what might happen, because Ninus and Joe were on the TV committee. They understood that the TV part of college football was about to explode if they won the Supreme Court case with Oklahoma and Georgia. They knew it. They had, in fact, they had a contract with NBC, all set to go. And then the Supreme Court was delayed in, in, in ruling on Oklahoma, Georgia. So they finally then had to put a new contract together. But in 81, they had a TV contract to go with NBC. Steve, right. you, you know this, too, and, and the younger people don't. Because one of the reasons the Pitt-Penn State football series was so tense and great was not just because of those games, but because it was tense in basketball. Yes. It was tense in baseball. Yep. It was tense in wrestling. Yep. I mean, the, the the small amount of sports we had back in the 50s and the 40s, you know, yeah. seven, eight, nine sports versus the 31, no women's sports at the time. Right. Uh, that's where they, that, I mean, the Doc, the Doc Carlson uh, uh, games against uh, uh, the, the, the coach before uh, uh, the 54 team, that uh, became a professor then. Uh, he was our longtime, the, the old guy, the old guy, he's gone too. Yeah. Uh, but he invented the, the zone defense. 
Oh, uh, uh, John Locke. Yeah, John Locke. Yeah. Now th- th- those were th- th- the freeze and all that. You know, people we don't realize they what it was like a five nothing going into the second half or something. Like that. And, yeah. and the game is different. We know that back yeah. then. But but they were it's five nothing but, in but, basketball. But, but, but they were but they were and, and the wrestling. I mean, uh, the Rex Perry when he was the coach, I remember, oh. and and Charlie Spidell, Spidell and, yeah. yeah, and then Joe Bedink and, and and the baseball people. But th- that helped make. The football series even more intense because they were winning the games and all the games were at Pittsburgh. Do you do you remember why all the games were at Pittsburgh in that time period? Right, well, because most of them were at Forbes Field. Uh, let's start with because not even in well, Pitt Stadium. They were Forbes Pitt, Field. Pitt Stadium started in twenty five. Right. right. Why were they Why were they there? Okay. I thought part of it was because Penn State wanted to recruit down there. Exactly. The alumni. The alum, there were a lot of alumni in Pittsburgh area, including Casey yeah. Jones, who was Bob Higgins' best friend. Yep. Who really brought the program back when. They bent the rules to bring players in from mm. the coal mines and gave them jobs and all that type. So they really did to get them jobs. Uh, that's what brought, brought Higgins back. But <laughs> they, the, the alumni, wanted they wanted a game in Pittsburgh because they wanted it for the fans and they wanted yep. for help recruiting. And so they got the game and they decided, okay, we'll play every year. They play. We have a game occasionally at Penn State, which they did in thirty one. Yep. But that's why the games were there. I mean, it was you know. So when it, when, the, when the Pitt fans came, well, we had, we can't have home and home. Well, we did it for a long time. It's now your turn. I'm speaking on behalf of <laughs> Rich Riley and Casey yeah. Jones and guys up there. The hell, heck, pardon me. The heck with you. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. just. Like, I mean, I'm joking, obviously, but it's true. I mean, it, there, so only you know. What happens when old guys like me are gone? They're not even remember this type of stuff. They're not even, even going to care. I mean, they, yeah. Well, see, what's happened is that one side's kind of had it their own way for a long period of time. And they're really, you know, because all those games were down in Pittsburgh. And they had some really good teams. Jock Sutherland, no matter how many oh, he had great teams. real or faux national championships they had, he had a lot of really good teams there. So let's give credit where credit's due. Uh, you know, uh, but they had everything their own way, played, played essentially at home the entire time, and part of that Penn State agreed to. Right, and then when it came to the Big East, they were in that. That's that's going to, and all of a sudden in '89 when Penn State got in the Big Ten, that was the first time they lost control of the whole thing. And that's and part of it is they decided in '81 not to do this. Now it's always overlooked when anybody writes an article in Pittsburgh about 1981. Pitt made its choice. Well, when you make your choice, now you've got consequences potentially down the road. Sometimes there are none. Sometimes there are some. Well, one of the consequences is like Penn State's too busy. <laughs> okay, they got nine conference games. I can't, can't play it. That, that's that's part of what 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 uh, Jay wrote. He says if you want to play the game, then you have to have less. One yeah, less. You have to have eight conference, eight conference games. games. See, and that's where the ACC and the SEC they both have eight conference right, that's games. That's the point. Because let's give Pitt credit. Pitt, for example, the last two years they played Penn State and Oklahoma State. As their non-conference games, well, that's a heck of a non-conference schedule. Man, you know, you're talking about two of the top ten teams in the country on your non-conference schedule. They had the flexibility to do that and then schedule. I think it was last year. I want to say it was Villanova last year. Yeah, and I can't remember who their fourth non-conference game. But you can then schedule down those two because you scheduled way up on your other two. Well, in the Big Ten, you can't do that. You really don't have that kind of flexibility because, you know, you and I know they need seven home games financially. And then you want to be tested, whether it's Virginia, Tech, Auburn, West Virginia, in that other game. They've got that. And, and you know, if we don't live in Pittsburgh, so we don't know what the Penn State fans go through down there. 
we hear what our friend Ron Moeller says. <laughs> old man tells me a lot. <laughs> he, he doesn't hold back when he says, uh, you no. know, but he gets tired of hearing it all down there. And, you know, yeah. He has to live through that type of stuff, which he hears it day in, day out, day in, day out. But, uh, you know, it, it, in many ways it's too bad. But as I say, it's, 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 uh, football's changing. Who knows what it's going to be five years from now? We don't know. Something else could change. Oh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, twenty twenty five when the grant of rights runs out for the Big Twelve, do we see another free for all, and then suddenly you have sixteen schools and maybe a pit is a part of the Big Ten, or maybe that, it's Texas, or maybe it's Oklahoma, or maybe it's nobody. You, we don't know. That's eight years from now. At that point, I mean, he'll be a grizzled veteran, and <laughs> uh, you covers in my grave. <laughs> I'm grizzled already. I'm just not yeah. a veteran at the oh, moment. Yeah. He's grizzled already. And what's the reason why? Because he works with me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I seem to create that in everybody, my friend. Thank so, you. Thank you for having me. I'll see you down there. Well, I may not see you. Only tailgating three minutes. So Yeah. Oh, it's down to three? <laughs> I, I, I've been generous in giving everybody 12 minutes to tailgate. But that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm a generous guy. Enjoy your 12 minutes of tailgate. Thank you, and take care. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.